Great to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to John 14, verse 15, and we'll pick up there in a moment as we continue in the series that we started last week called The Ghost, uh, in which we contemplate who the Spirit is, uh, what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, and what it means for us. Uh, how, how can we grow in our uh, knowledge and trust and experience uh, of the Holy Spirit? And we're doing that through the lens of uh, the teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples uh, in John chapters 14, 15, and 16. Jesus is teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit, or what some traditions call the Holy Ghost, uh, during their final meal together. In context, the cross is looming in the background. Jesus is hours away from arrest and betrayal. Uh, but in the meantime, he gives these parting words to his disciples. This is John 14, starting in verse 15. He tells them, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Let's pray. Jesus, we turn our hearts, our minds, our attention towards you now. We just want to take a deep breath and center ourselves in your presence. And I pray, Lord, specifically for anyone here who maybe spiritually feels a bit like an orphan, who knows about you but maybe doesn't feel like they know you. Or as we read those verses this morning, that the world cannot see you, the world will not comprehend you. Maybe some of us are, are feeling like that. Lord, we, we, we can't see you, we can't comprehend you. Where, where are you? We want to um, see, touch, taste, sense your divine presence with us and in us. That's the, the deep hunger, the deep thirst of our souls, God. And so I pray that as we sit under your teaching, as we um, turn our hearts and our minds toward you, Lord, would you meet us here this morning? And even more than that, would you uh, teach us how to meet with you? May our uh, hours and our days be filled with divine touch points and spirit-filled moments because of the reality that, that Jesus is, is talking about in these words. Would you come and do that work among us now? 
In Jesus' name, amen. As Jesus heads toward the cross and resurrection and eventually ascension back to the Father, he prepares his disciples for the new world that is coming, a world in which their sin is done away with, uh, nailed to the cross and cast off of them as far as the east is from the west. A world in which uh, the tomb is empty and death has been conquered. But also a world in which Jesus ascends in bodily form back to the Father. And the Holy Spirit is sent in his place. And this, Jesus says, is the better choice. After I return to the Father, he says, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. When Jesus tells his disciples, I'll, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, that's true in and through the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus says this advocate, this Holy Spirit, uh, he will be invisible. In fact, the world cannot see him or comprehend him. The world will, will not be aware that he exists. The world will not know him or perceive him, even though he's all around. But you, Jesus says, but you're different, but you do know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, he tells his disciples. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. You will be able to perceive me. Because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. In other words, when this new reality dawns, the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you. You will be able to see God by faith. You will be able to perceive him in everyday life. You will be able to know God as a present reality, as one who is with you and in you and uh, walking alongside you throughout your days. You will have an opportunity, Jesus says, to grow in your awareness of God's presence. And, and you might go on growing in that awareness until Jesus says, you, you can reach this point where you realize that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me, and I'm in you, and you are in me. In the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And this awareness of God's presence uh, historically has been known as practicing the presence of God. It's uh, the act of turning my attention toward God, uh, my thoughts, my awareness throughout the day, and touching the reality of God in everyday life. And while uh, countless people throughout church history have uh, practiced the presence of God and experienced God's presence, in unique ways. Perhaps uh, the two who are the best known uh, for this practice are a Brother Lawrence, who was a monk from 17th century France, and a man named Frank Laubach, who was actually an American missionary to the Philippines, of all places, 
and who later came back and uh, died in 1970. And uh, shortly after his death in the 70s, they published uh, the testimony of Frank Laubach and Brother Lawrence in this uh, short book called Practicing His Presence. And uh, it, half the book is the testimony of one man, and half the book is the testimony of another, uh, as it relates to practicing the presence of God. And this is an amazing little book. It's short. It's readable. It's like $10 on Amazon. Uh, and it's actually outside of the library of Scripture. This is my favorite book of all time. I have been reading it for years. I've been recommending it for years. In fact, when I first discovered the book, I was just absolutely spellbound by the testimony of these two men, uh, not because their, their testimony was so uh, otherworldly or bizarre or like pie in the sky, oh my gosh, like I, I could never do that. I was actually spellbound by their testimonies because it was so accessible. It was so down to earth. It was something, wow, this is something that anybody can do. It, with any age, with any personality, with any wiring, with any, get, like, it doesn't matter. Anybody can grow in this idea of practicing the presence of God. And I've actually enjoyed this book so much that for years, I was in the habit of uh, reading. What I would do is I would read a book, let's say a book by C.S. Lewis or whatever it is, and then I would read this little book, Practicing His Presence. And then I might uh, read another book, uh, a, a Tale of Two Cities or whatever it is. But then I would read Practicing His Presence again. I would literally read it in between every other book that I read. It was that uh, relatable. It was that accessible. It resonated that deeply in my heart. So I've been uh, reading and, rec and recommending this book uh, for years. And it holds a special place in my heart and relates uh, to what Jesus is talking about this morning, of this growing in the, this awareness of God who's actually with us and in us, but whether we realize it or not. And so what I want to do with the time that we have remaining this morning is, in a sense, I want to read this book to you. Um, I, I want to do something that I've never done before uh, in, in all my years of teaching and preaching, in that... For the next uh, 20 minutes, I, I'm going to take on uh, the character of one of these men and just uh, share their testimony with you in their own words uh, and what it felt like for them. What, is it, what did it mean to them to practice the presence of God, to grow toward this place Jesus is talking about where we realize that Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Him and I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. And so um, I'm going to uh, read the test, uh, uh, parts of the testimony of one of these men, and I chose Frank Laubach uh, in part because uh, he's an American missionary to the Philippines, and uh, we are on our way uh, headed that direction, uh, but in part also because Brother Lawrence is actually very well known, and his, his material is much more accessible. And as proof of that, uh, I was chatting with Kelly Walters earlier in the week and said, hey, this Sunday we're going to be talking about practicing the presence of God. And he said, oh, yeah, that's, that's great. I think I read that book by Brother Lawrence and that other guy. Uh, and that's, how, that's what most people say. They're like, oh, there's Brother Lawrence. And then wasn't there some other guy who did that? You can't forget about those American missionaries to the Philippines, people. They're, they're important, too. Uh, that's Frank Laubach, the other guy. 
uh, that most people forget. And so uh, what I did is I just read through uh, his half of the book, and uh, it's really pulled from his journal entries and letters that he wrote to his father. And I read through the whole thing and pulled out the parts that I thought would be most relevant for the teaching today and put them together. So this is going to be Frank Laubach's words and Frank Laubach's testimony, but sort of uh, uh, orchestrated and, and pulled together uh, by me and the things that sort of stood out to me from what he said. So uh, these are his words that he wrote when he was alone as a missionary uh, on an island in the Philippines. He says it this way. He says, although I have been a minister and a missionary for 15 years, I have not lived the entire day of any day, minute by minute, to follow the will of God. Two years ago, a profound dissatisfaction led me to begin trying to line up my actions with the will of God about every 15 minutes or every half hour. Other people to whom I confessed this intention said it was impossible, can't be done. I judge from what they have said that few people are trying even that. But this year I have started out to live all my waking moments in conscious listening to the inner voice, asking without ceasing, Father, what do you desire said? Father, what do you desire this minute? It is clear that this is exactly what Jesus was doing all day, every day. For the past few days, I have been experimenting in a more complete surrender than ever before. I am taking by deliberate, active will enough time from each hour to give God much thought. Yesterday and today, I have made a new adventure, which is not easy to express. I am feeling God in each movement by an act of will, willing that he shall direct these fingers that now strike this typewriter. He's writing in the 1930s. Willing that he shall pour through my steps as I walk. Willing that he shall direct my words as I speak and my very jaws as I eat. You will object to this intense introspection. Do not try it unless you feel dissatisfied with your own relationship with the Lord. But at least let me allow, at least allow me to realize all the leadership of God I can. It is exactly this moment by moment, every waking moment, surrender, responsiveness, obedience, sensitiveness, pliability lost in his love that I now have the mind bent to explore with all my might, to respond to Jesus Christ as a violin responds to the bow of his master. I feel simply carried along each hour, doing my part in a plan which is far beyond myself. It is this sense of cooperation with God in the little things that so astonishes me, for I never felt it this way before. I need something and turn around to find it waiting for me. I must work to be sure, but there is God working along with me. My part is to live this hour in continuous inner conversation with God and in perfect responsiveness to his will. 
To make this hour gloriously rich, this seems to be all I need to think about. I never before felt such joy in this, what shall I call it? More than surrender, I had that before. More than listening to God, I tried that before as well. I cannot find the words that will mean to you or to me what I am now experiencing. It is a will act. I compel my mind to open straight out toward God. I wait and listen with determined sensitiveness. I fix my attention there, and sometimes it requires a long time early in the morning. I determined not to get out of bed until that mindset upon the Lord was settled. After a while, perhaps, it will become a habit, and the sense of effort will grow less. But why do I constantly harp upon this inner experience? Because I'm convinced that for me, and for you who read, there lie ahead undiscovered continents of spiritual living, compared with which we are infants in arms. And I must witness that people outside are treating me differently. Obstacles that once would have, I once would have regarded as insurmountable are melting away like a mirage. People are becoming friendly who had suspected or neglected me. I feel, I feel like one who has had his violin out of tune with the orchestra and is at last in harmony with the universe. As for me, I never lived. I was half dead a rotting tree, until I reached the place where I resolved and re-resolved with utter honesty that I would find God's will and would do that will, though every fiber of my being said no. And I would win that battle in my mind. How infinitely richer this direct first-hand grasping of God himself is than the old method which I used and recommended for years, the reading of endless devotional books. It almost seems to me now that the very Bible itself cannot be read as a substitute for meeting with God soul to soul and face to face. One question now to be put to the test is this. Can we have that contact with God all the time, fall asleep in his arms, and awaken in his presence? Can we attain that? Can we do his will all the time? Can we think his thoughts all the time? Or are there periods of business and pleasures and crowding companions that will necessarily push God out of our thoughts? We cannot keep two things in mind at once. Indeed, we cannot keep even one thing in mind more than half a second. Our mind is a flowing something. It oscillates. Concentration is merely the continuous return to the same problem from a million different angles. We do not think of one thing. We always think of the relationship of at least two things, and more often three things or four things simultaneously. So my problem is this. Can I bring the Lord back in my mind flow every few seconds so that God shall always be in my mind? I choose to make the rest of my life an experiment 
in answering this question. Someone may be saying that this introspection and the struggle to achieve God consciousness is abnormal and perilous. I'm going to take the risk, for somebody ought to do it. If our religious premises are correct at all, then this oneness with God is the most normal condition one can have. It is what made Christ, Christ. It is what St. Augustine meant when he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee. I do not invite anyone else to follow this arduous path. I wish many might. We need to know so much with which one man alone cannot answer. For example, can a laboring man successfully attain this continuous surrender to God? Can a man working at a machine pray for people all day long, talk with God all day long, and at the same time do his task efficiently? Can an employee do business? Can an accountant keep books ceaselessly surrendered to God? Can a parent wash dishes, care for babies, continuously talking to God? Is this attainable? I believe it is. But if this record of a soul's struggle to find God is to be complete, it must not omit the story of difficulty and failure. This week, for example, has not been one of the finest in my life, though it has been above the average. I have undertaken something which at my age at least is hard, harder than I anticipated. But I resolve not to give up the effort. Yet, strain does not seem to do good. At the moment I feel something let go inside, behold, God is there. With a heart-melting hearness a lovely whispering of father to child. And the reason I did not have it before was because I failed to let go. Fellowship with God is something one dare not cover, for it smothers to death. It is like a tender infant or a delicate little plant, for long nurturing is the price of having it, while it vanishes in a moment. Indeed, the moment one's eyes cease to be single. This concentration upon God is strenuous, but everything else has ceased to be so. I think more clearly. I forget less frequently. Things which I did with a strain before, I now do so easily and with no effort whatsoever. I worry about nothing and lose no sleep. Just going to read that part again. Just think of the anxiety in our culture. I worry about nothing and lose no sleep. I walk on air a good part of the time. Worries have faded like ugly clouds, and my soul rests in the sunshine of perpetual peace. Even the mirror reveals a new light in my eyes and face. I no longer feel in a hurry about anything. Each minute I meet calmly as if it were not important. Nothing can go wrong, excepting one thing, that is that God may slip from my mind if I do not keep him there. 
If he is there, the universe is with me. My task is simple and clear. I'll admit that God slips out of my mind for most of the day, but what happens when I do succeed is so successful that it makes up for the failure. God does work a change. The moment I turn to him, it's like turning on an electric current, which I feel through my whole being. The most important discovery of my whole life is that one can take a rough little cabin and transform it into a palace just by flooding it with God. I am willing to confess that as of yet, I have not striven unto blood to win this battle, but I want to prove that the thing can be done by all people under all conditions. I have not proven it yet, but this much I do see. What an incredibly high thing Jesus did. June 1st, 1930. Today was my best day so far. I looked at people with a love God gave me, and they looked back as if they wanted to go with me. I felt then that for a day I saw a little of that marvelous pull that Jesus had as he walked along the road day by day through Nazareth. God intoxicated and radiant with the endless communion of his soul with God. I am well aware of the probability of criticism because it is mysticism, as though anyone can be a believer in Jesus without believing in mysticism, or because people think that the days of direct contact with God, or at least words from God, stopped with the closing of the New Testament. But then, what a stupid world this would be if no one ever did anything different for fear of criticism. Here I was, engaging in the most glorious action of all human and of all superhuman life. I was communing with the very God of the universe himself. He was showing me his very heart. Even the angels can do no more than this. It is difficult to convey to another the joy of having broken into a new sea of recognizing God's hereness. It is our duty to live in the beauty of the presence of God on some mount of transfiguration until we become white with Christ. After all, the deepest truth is that the Christ-like life is glorious, undefeatably glorious. There is no defeat unless one loses God, and then all is defeat, even if it is housed in castles and buried in fortunes. I have found an entirely new way of life. I ask no one else to live it or even to try it. I only witness that it is wonderful. It is indeed heaven on earth. And it is very simple, so simple that, that any child could practice it. This simple practice requires only a gentle, a gentle pressure of the will, not more than a person can exert easily. It grows easier as the habit becomes fixed, and yet it transforms life into heaven. 
Everybody takes on a new richness, and all the world seems to be tainted or tinted with glory. I resolve to accept each situation of this year as God's layout for that hour, and never lament that it is a very commonplace or disappointing task. One can pour something divine into every situation. To begin this practice, to begin practicing the presence of God, try bringing, to Christ, try bringing Christ to mind at least once an hour. You do not need to forget other things, nor stop your work, but invite Him to share everything you do or say or think. It is a new habit, but like any habit, it grows easier with time. This uh, practicing the presence of Christ can take all of our time, but it does not take from our work. It brings Christ into our enterprises and makes them more successful. Practicing the presence of God is not on trial. It has already been proven by countless saints. Indeed, the spiritual giants of all ages have known it. The results of this effort begin to show clearly in a month. They grow rich after six months and glorious after ten years. This is the secret of the great saints of all ages. Pray without ceasing, Paul says, and in every situation present your request to God. And as Romans says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Nobody is wholly satisfied within themselves. Our lives are made up of light and shadows, of some good days and many unsatisfactory days. We have learned that the good days and hours come when we are very close to Christ and practicing His presence. It is a way of living which nearly everybody knows and nearly everybody has ignored. Another way to begin is to select a favorable hour, an easy, uncomplicated hour, which is hard if you're a mom with babies and young kids. But if you can get an hour to yourself, he says, you can start the practice this way. See how many minutes of that hour you can remember or touch Christ in each minute. That is to say, bring him to mind one second out of every 60 seconds. If you can, you will not do so well at first, but keep trying for it constantly becomes easier. And after a while, it's almost automatic. When you, when you begin to try this, you discover that spiritually you are still a very weak infant in the crib, seizing upon everything at hand to pull himself up to his feet before wobbling for a few seconds and falling exhausted. But he tries again, and each time he stands up for a little longer than he did before. Perhaps you can try turning your attention to him as the last thought you have before you fall asleep at night, or as the first thought that you have when you wake up in the morning. You can begin by saying, good morning, Lord. Shall we get up now? 
Some of us have grown the habit of whispering to him throughout the day about whatever you might be doing, no matter how big or small. And people have found that they can keep the Lord in mind while engaging in all types of work, mental or manual, and find that they are happier and get better results. Students can enjoy the presence of the Lord while taking an examination, asking God to clear their mind and help them remember what they've studied. The carpenter can do his work better if he talks quietly to God about each task, as surely Jesus did when he was a carpenter. There are those who cultivate companionship with Christ while cooking, washing dishes, sweeping, sewing, or caring for children. Some will talk to God about each little thing they are doing. Others will hum a favorite hymn or song to keep them in his presence, draw their awareness there. Those who endure the most intolerable ordeals gain strength when they realize their unseen companion is by their side. Troubles and pain will come to those who practice God's presence as they came to Jesus, but they seem not so important compared with their new joyous experience. If we have spent our days with Him, we find that when earthquakes, fire, famine, or other catastrophes threaten us, we are not terrified any more than Paul was in time of shipwreck, for perfect love casts out fear. Here's something we can share with all the people in the world. They cannot all be brilliant or rich or beautiful. They cannot all even dream beautiful dreams like God gives some of us. They cannot all enjoy music. Their hearts do not all burn with love. But everybody can learn to hold God. And when God is ready to speak, the fresh thoughts of heaven will flow like a crystal spring. Everybody rests at the end of the day. What a gain if everybody could rest in the waiting arms of the Father and listen until he whispers. Let's pray. Thank you.